0: This is Crossroads with Clayton King. What I'm praying for right now is that while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit of God pulls the scales off your eyes and you begin to recognize that a good God sent his perfect son to die for you in your place and rose from the dead so you could change, so you could have new life, so you could belong to a family with a bunch of other broken mess ups like me.
1: God's Word tells us that as believers in Jesus, we are loved by God with an everlasting love. In fact, we become children of God with the rights of inheriting a place at His table. So why do we have such a hard time making His love real in our lives? Today, Clayton talks to the crowd of young believers at Crossroads Summer Camp in a message he calls, Make It Real.
0: It's one thing to fall in love and to say, "Oh, I, I love this person, but I'm going to tell you how you know it's real. You make it real when you really are like so in love that you just get dumb. Like you lose your mind. you do stupid stuff. How many of you have ever been so in the throes of love that you did something so dumb, so ridiculous, and now you regret it, now you know how silly it was. Can I see your hands? How many of you have ever sent a text message to somebody that you just knew you were in love with and now you regret ever sending that text message because they broke up with you? Yep. And you think you might be in love at some point in the future because y'all like 14 years old, you ain't in love. You're in hormones. You don't have hormones, you are a hormone, okay? You're a teenager. You're not in love yet, but one day when you are in love, let me tell you how to make it real. Okay, that's the title of the message. Let me tell you how to make it real. If you are really in love with her, you will write her a poem. I said it. I said it. Make it real. Make it real. Can I? Would y'all? Would y'all like to? Uh, would y'all like to hear the first? poem I ever wrote, because I have it memorized. But it all started before I ever wrote my first book, before I ever sold a copy, before I ever signed a contract with a publisher. It all started in the sixth grade. With these words that are about to flow from my mouth right now, I was in love with Mandy Keller. She also was a 12-year-old sixth grader. She knew I was in love with her because I wrote her a letter on paper. Letters were the way that we used to communicate back in the 1900s with each other. They have some in the Smithsonian Institute of History in Washington, D.C. And I fell in love with Mandy Keller and I thought that the only way I could make it real was to like make my words more than just words in my head. I wanted to go beyond words. I wanted to, ex- to like show her. I had to express to her my affection and my love. So I'm from Fountain in South Carolina, and I grew up on a farm, and I just thought, okay, how hard could poetry be? It seems like the right thing to do. It seems appropriate. So I got a piece of notebook paper, and I took a pencil, and I wrote these words, these inspirational words, heartfelt, romantic words. (laughs) I've memorized the poem because it was so heartfelt. Here's what I wrote her. Dear Mandy, love is a rose and you are its blossom. I told y'all. But only two lines into the poem, I got writer's block. <laughs> and I lost my inspiration because I got tripped up on the word blossom. Because poetry has to rhyme. There are a limited number of words in the English language that rhyme with blossom. So instead of starting over, I knew that this poem was from God. So I stuck with the word blossom and I scrolled through the two words that rhyme with it in the English language. And here's what I came up with. Dear Mandy, love is a rose and you are its blossom. If you want your finger chewed off, poke it at a possum. I had to make it real. I had to make it real. More than words, I wanted her to know how I felt. I had to make my love real and she had to make our breakup equally real. That's a true story. I wanna read this to you because there's another true story. Listen, in the same way that anyone can say, I love you, and it's meaningless because it's just words, if you don't make it real and back it up with a commitment, and by the way, let me tell you how you really make love real. You book a church, you set a date, you get married, you walk down the aisle, you make a covenant (laughs) between God and each other. In front of witnesses, you sign a marriage document. Like that's how you make it real. Anybody can say, I love you, but unless you're willing to put a ring on it and put a date on the calendar and really do it the right way, it's just words. God had been saying to the human race for thousands of years, I love you. And then when all of the pieces came together just right and the times were just right and Everything was in place. God knew, because God is wise, now it's time to make it real. I'm gonna do more than just say it. Now I'm gonna do something. I'm not just gonna tell the world I love them. I'm gonna make it real. And that's what we read about in John chapter one. I'm gonna read this to you. John chapter one. I would love for you to follow along. Here's what John writes in John chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him, Jesus, in Him was life and that life was the light of all people the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself, meaning John, John the Baptist, He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Let me pause right there. There are two Johns in the New Testament. There's John the Baptist, and that's who we're talking about. He was Jesus' cousin, and he was also a preacher. He was kind of a wild preacher. He lived in the wilderness. He was probably an Essene. He was committed to the way of God. He was a prophet who called sinful people to repent. And he prepared the way for Jesus, like a voice crying in the wilderness, the Bible says. There's another John who wrote the book of John, different guy, same name, different guy. This John who writes this book, the one that we're reading right now, the book of John, was Jesus' closest friend. Jesus had 12 disciples. Among the 12, he had three that were his closest. And among those three, Peter, James, and John, John was his best friend. And John wrote the Gospel of John decades after Jesus lived to fill in the gaps and tell parts of the story of the life of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had left out. John also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So John the the Apostle, is telling us about John the Baptist who prepared the way. He was not the light, he was simply talking about the light. He himself, verse eight, was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light, verse nine, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, pause right there. The light was coming into the world. What did verse verse one say? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, okay? Now the word of God becomes the light. Now what's the light doing? Coming to earth. God is doing more than just saying, I love you. God is now sending his son to earth to show us. And that's what's gonna happen to some of you this week at camp. You're gonna see who Jesus is Because Jesus brings light into a dark place. And if you've ever tried to walk through a dark house in the middle of the night because you didn't want to turn on the light because it hurts your eyes... You know that you can't navigate in darkness because you hit things, you get hurt, you break your toe, you get upset, you you injure yourself. But the minute you turn the light on, everything becomes clear. So the Bible says is God the Father sends his son Jesus into the world and that light illuminates the world that's filled with darkness. Verse 10, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Let me tell you who he's talking about there. He's talking about the Jews. Jesus was an Israelite, and he came to the Israelites, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God to the Israelites, and many of the Israelites did not receive him. They did not believe he was the Messiah. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, pause, because not everyone rejected Jesus, some people received Jesus. Some Jews received Jesus. As a matter of fact, every single one of the disciples was a Jew. A majority of them were from the same region in Galilee. And those Jews, out of all of them, the one that we think that did not receive him was Judas that betrayed him. But the other ones, they did receive Jesus. Paul would later receive Jesus. And so to those who did receive him, Those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that's an important word, we'll come back to it, to become children of God. Pause, don't miss this, we'll come back to this as well. When you receive Jesus by faith, you don't just get a ticket to heaven, you get a seat at the table in God's house. When you receive Jesus by faith, You don't just check a box on a test and make an A, and then you get the promise that one day when you die, you'll get to walk on streets of gold. You get adopted into a family, and you become a daughter and a son in that family. That's what it means to be given the right to become children of God. Verse 13, born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pause right there. This really translates the Word, Jesus, who lived in heaven with the Father and the Spirit, the Word, God's Son, Jesus, who was preexistent, who made the world, who lived in heaven. Guess what he did? He came from heaven to earth, he made the journey, he took the trip, and when he got down here, he took on flesh as a real human, not a robot, not a cyborg, not AI, artificial intelligence, no. God became a man. And when God became a man, he remained God and became a man. And God and man dwelled together for 33 years in one body. And that man's name was Jesus. And he came from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, crucified in Jerusalem, raised from the dead on the third day. And now 2.3 billion people on planet earth call him Lord and follow him as their savior. He did not just say, I love you. He made it real because he came down here and dwelt among us. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What that can translate into in in Hebrew or in Greek is he came down and he moved into our neighborhood. He pitched his tent in our camp. He took up residence in your cul-de-sac. In other words, God was Sending Jesus on a mission to say, the time is right, go make it real to them, show them how much I love them. You know, that's the only thing we wanna do this week at camp, that's it. The only thing we wanna do for you girls and for you guys is to make God's love for you real. We want you to see how the word became flesh and how he lives among us says in the next part of verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. John is saying, I'm not just telling y'all something I read about or something that somebody posted on Instagram. I saw it myself. I saw him with my own two eyes. I touched him with my hands. I ate meals with him. I slept. On the ground beside him and Peter and the disciples, I watched him speak to Lazarus and call him out of a tomb. I watched him calm a raging sea on the Sea of Galilee one night. I saw him curse a fig tree and I watched it die. I saw him set a demoniac free from a legion of evil spirits and cast him into pigs and the pigs jumped into a lake and drowned themselves. I saw him raise another guy's daughter from the dead. I watched him cure blind people. I saw it with my own eyes. I didn't just read the words, I saw the actions. That's what John's saying. We beheld his glory, we saw it, it's real.
1: We'll get back to Clayton in just a minute. But first, I'd like to let you know about Crossroads Summer Camp 2023. There are a lot of camp experiences out there, but there's nothing quite like the Crossroads Summer Camp experience. We've been providing a life-changing experience for students since 1996. Our mission is to reach students with the gospel of Jesus Christ, help them understand God's Word, and give them the tools to live it out in their daily lives. We aim to be not only the most fun week of each student summer, our primary goal is to create an environment for each camper to be seen, become known, and have a life-changing experience with God. To find out more about Crossroads Summer Camp 2023 and to register, check us out online at CrossroadsSummerCamp.com. Again, to find out more about this summer's camp, go to CrossroadsSummerCamp.com.
0: Here's what I'm trying to say. It's easy to recognize all the bad things in life. What I'm praying for right now is that while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit of God pulls the scales off your eyes, and you begin to recognize that a good God sent his perfect son to die for you in your place and rose from the dead so you could change, so you could have new life. So you could belong to a family with a bunch of other broken mess ups like me. Come join my family. We have a blast. We're all weird, we're all kind of like the crazy uncle that shows up at like family reunions. None of us are perfect, but man, we all fit together because we're all broken and we all need Jesus' grace to save us. That's the first step, recognize who he is. The the second word that I wanna show you is the word receive. And that word is used in verses 11 and 12. Receive. You recognize who Jesus is, but you got to do more than just recognize. You have to receive his love. He will not force it on you. You have to receive it. It says in verses 11 and 12, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you can't just recognize there's a problem. You have to receive the cure for it. And that's what John does. He says, okay, some people did not receive Jesus and other people did. And the ones that did, they win. The best example I can give you guys happened to me in March. I'm gonna talk about the difference between recognizing and receiving because some of y'all recognize that Jesus loves you. You recognize that he died on the cross. You recognize that, but you're not willing to humble yourself and receive his grace yet. But you're going to. I I believe you're gonna do it tonight. I do. So let me tell you the difference. I recognized back in March that something was wrong with my body, I didn't know what it was. I woke up at uh, midnight. On a Sunday night, I went to bed at 9:45 after preaching all day, woke up at midnight, my back was killing me from 12 a.m. till uh, five in the morning. I walked the floor, could not get any relief, nothing worked, and then the pain went away. Monday I'm fine. Tuesday, same thing. I wake up at two o'clock in the morning I'm up till six o'clock. I'm, I'm taking advil now, I'm drinking water, I'm taking a laxative just in case I need to flush the pipes. I'm doing whatever I can. Pain would not go away. Three hours later, it stops. Wednesday, I'm fine. Thursday, midnight till 6 a.m. Six hours, excruciating pain. I'm walking the floor. Friday, I'm fine. Saturday, we're in Charleston, me and my wife. And we are down there to host our campus down there for our church. And Saturday, we're just kind of goofing off, wake up. I'm not feeling good, we eat lunch. And from 12 noon, when we finished lunch that day in downtown Charleston, until 4.30 Sunday morning, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. I felt like someone was stabbing me from the front, both sides, and the back. So at 4.30 in the morning, I woke up Shari, I said, take me to the emergency room right now. If I had had a pocket knife, I think I would have tried to cut my stomach open. I was dying. I didn't know what was going on. I recognized there was a problem. I walk in the emergency room at Roper St. Francis Hospital. The doctor says, tell me how you feeling. He's the emergency surgeon on call. I told him. He took his hand. He goes, tell me if this hurts. And he stuck me right under my rib cage. And I almost open hand slapped him across the face. (laughs) If the pain had not been so bad, I think I may have. I'm not a violent man, but I was out of control of my body at that point. He comes back in and says, it's your gallbladder. So they had to do emergency surgery and remove my gallbladder. And while they're inside removing my gallbladder, I didn't know this until I woke up, singing songs because of the medicine they gave me, which apparently had me loopy. He said, well, your surgeries went well. I said, surgeries? What else did you do to me? He said, I repaired a hernia that you had since you were born. What? Thank you? I had to receive the care from the surgeon It's not enough for him to say, yeah, your gallbladder is rotten and diseased and you will die if I don't take it out. Okay, thanks for the info. Peace. (laughs) Tell your mama them I said, hey. How dumb. You gotta do, look, God wants you to do more than recognize Jesus. God wants you to receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, I'm gonna give you the third word. That becomes a reality. Rights. If you receive Jesus, you get rights. What rights? The rights of children. Heirs. You become a part of the family. You're adopted in. To those who received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. You're heirs to the kingdom. Did you know that in the days of Jesus, if you were a natural born child, your parents could divorce you if you brought dishonor and shame on the family name? Like if you were a natural born child and you did something unspeakable, if you were a Jew and you married a Gentile, the family would disown you and divorce you. But how cool is this? In the ancient world, in, in Greek, Roman, and Jewish culture, if you were an adopted child, you got rights that could never be reversed. If you went through the legal process of adoption, they could never divorce you. They could never reverse your rights. Paul says on two different occasions that we are adopted into the family of God. We were not naturally born, because the Bible says we're born sinners. We're not born children of God, we're born enemies of God. That's why God, the Father, had to send Jesus the Son to die and reconcile us so that that bridge could be, that gap could be bridged with God's grace. So we don't don't earn the rights of children, we receive the rights of children. And because we're adopted in, He'll never divorce us. He'll never reverse the rights.
1: Have you made it real with Jesus? Have you become an adopted child of God? We would love to walk with you through this journey reach out to us at ClaytonKing.com. And if you would like to hear this program again, send it to a friend or explore all the other resources we have for your spiritual journey with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.